Chapter 22 Merry Christmas At length, towards noon, upon the final dismissal of the ship's riggers, and after the Pequod had been hauled out from the wharf, and after the ever-thoughtful Charity had come off in a whaleboat, with her last gift, a nightcap for Stubb the second mate her brother-in-law, and a spare Bible for the steward, after all this, the two captains, Peleg and Bildad, issued from the cabin and turning to the chief mate, Peleg said, Now, Mr. Starbuck, are you sure everything is all right? Captain Ahab is all ready. Just spoke to him. Nothing more to be got from ashore, eh? Well, call all hands then. Muster a aft here, blast him. No need to profane words, however great the hurry, Peleg, said Bildad. But away with thee, friend Starbuck, and do our bidding. How now? Here upon the very point of starting the voyage, Captain Peleg and Captain Bildad were going at it with high hand on the quarter-deck, just as if they were to be joint commanders at sea, as well as to all appearances in port. And, as for Captain Ahab, no sign of him yet to be seen. Only they said he was in the cabin. But then the idea was that his presence was by no means necessary in getting the ship under way, and steering her well out to sea. Indeed, as that was not at all his proper business, but the pilots, and as he was not yet completely recovered, so they said, therefore Captain Ahab stayed below. And all this seemed natural enough, especially as in the merchant service many captains never showed themselves on deck for a considerable time after heaving up the anchor, but remain over the captain table, having a farewell merry-making with the shore friends before they quit the ship for good with the pilot." But there was not much chance to overthink the matter, for Captain Peleg was now all alive. He seemed to do the most talking and commanding, and not Bildad. "'Aft here, ye sons of bachelors,' he cried, as the sailors lingered in the mainmast. "'Mr. Starbuck, drive him aft!' "'Strike the tent there,' was the next order. As I hinted before, this whalebone marquee was never pitched except in port, and on board the Pequod for thirty years the order to strike the tent was well known to be the next thing heaving up the anchor.' "'Man the capstan! Blood and thunder! Jump!' was the next command, and the crew sprang for the handspikes. Now, in getting under way, the station generally occupied by the pilot is the forward part of the ship, and here Bildad, who, with Peleg be it known, in addition to the other officers, was the one of the licensed pilots of the port, he being suspected to have got himself made a pilot in order to save the Nantucket pilot fee to all the ships he was concerned in, for he never piloted any other craft. Bildad, I say, might now be seen actively engaged in looking over the bows for the approaching anchor, and at intervals singing what seemed a dismal stave of psalmony, to cheer the hands of the windlass, who roared forth some sort of chorus about the girls of Bobble Alley, with hearty good will. Nevertheless, Bildad had told them that no profane songs would be allowed on board the Pequod, particularly in getting under way, and Charity, his sister, placed a small copy of Watts in each seaman's berth. Meanwhile, overseeing the other part of the ship, Captain Peleg ripped and swore astern in the most frightful manner. I almost thought he would sink the ship before the anchor could have gotten up. Involuntarily, I paused on my handspike and told Quigquig to do the same, thinking of the perils we both ran in starting on the voyage with such a devil for a pilot. I was comforting myself, however, with the thought that in pious Bildad might be found some salvation, spite of his 777th lay, when I felt a sudden sharp poke in my rear, and turning round was horrified at the apparition of Captain Peleg in the act of withdrawing his leg from my immediate vicinity. 
That was my first kick. Is that the way they heave in the merchant service? He roared. Spring, thou sheephead, spring, and break thy backbone. Why don't ye spring, I say, all ye spring. Cohog, spring, thou chap with red whiskers. Spring there, Scots chap. Spring, thou green pants. Spring, I say, all ye, and spring your eyes out. And so saying, he moved along the windlass, here and there using his leg very freely, while imperturbable Bildad kept leading on his salmony. Thinks I Captain Peleg must have been drinking something today. At last the anchor was up, and the sails were set, and we glided. It was a short, cold Christmas, and as the sort of northern day merged into night, we found ourselves almost broad upon the wintry ocean, whose freezing spray cased us in ice as in polished armor. The long rows of teeth on the bulwark glistened in the moonlight, and like the white ivory tusks of some huge elephant, vast curving icicles depended from the bows. Lank Bildad, as the pilot, headed the first watch, and ever and anon, as the old craft deep-dived into the green sea, and sent the shivering frost all over her, the winds howled and the cordage rang, his steady notes we heard. Sweet fields beyond the swelling flood stand dressed in living green, so to the Jews old Canaan stood while Jordan rolled between. Never did those sweet words sound more sweetly to me than then. They were full of hope and fruition. Spite of this frigid winter night in the boisterous Atlantic, spite of my wet feet and wetter jacket, there was yet, it then seemed in me, many a pleasant heaven in store, and meads and gales so eternally vernal, that the grass shot up by the spring, untrodden, unwilted, remains at midsummer. At last we gained such an offing that the two pilots were needed no longer, the stout sailboat that had accompanied us began ranging alongside. It was curious, and not unpleasing, how Peleg and Bildad were affected at this juncture, especially Captain Bildad. For loath to depart, yet very loath to leave, for good, a ship bound on so long and perilous a voyage, beyond both stormy capes, a ship in which some thousands of his hard-earned dollars were invested, a ship in which an old shipmate sailed as captain, a man almost as old as he, once more starting to encounter all the terrors of the pitiless jaw, loathed to say goodbye to a thing so every way brimful of every interest to him. Poor old Bildad, lingering long, paced the deck with anxious strides, ran down to the cabin to speak another farewell word there, again came on deck, and looked windward, looked towards the wide and endless waters, only bound up by the far-off, unseen eastern continents, looked towards the land, looked aloft, looked right and left, looked everywhere and nowhere, and at last, mechanically coiled a rope upon its pin, convulsively grasped stout Peleg by the hand, and holding up a lantern, for a moment stood gazing heroically in his face, as much as to say, nevertheless, as much as to say, nevertheless, friend Peleg, I can stand it, yes I can. As for Peleg himself, he took it more like a philosopher, but for all philosophy there was a tear twinkling in his eye, and when the lantern came too near. And he, too, did not a little run for the cabin deck, now a word below, and now a word with Starbuck, the chief mate. But at last he turned to his comrade, with a final sort of look about him. Captain Bildad, come, old shipmate, we must go. Back to the main yard there. Boat ahoy! Stand by to come close alongside now. Careful, careful. Come, Bildad. Boy, say your last. Luck to ye, Starbuck. Luck to ye, Mr. Stubb. 
Luck to you, Mr. Flask. Goodbye and good luck to all. And this day, three years, I'll have hot supper smoking for ye at Old Nantucket. Hurrah and away. God bless ye and have ye his holy keeping, men, murmured old Bildad almost incoherently. I hope ye'll have fine weather now, so that Captain Ahab may soon be moving amongst ye. A pleasant sun is all he needs, and ye'll have plenty of them in the tropic voyage ye go. Be careful in the hunt, ye mates. Don't stave the boat needlessly, ye harpooners. Good white cedar plank is raised full three percent within a year. Don't forget your prayers either. Mr. Starbuck, mind the cooper don't waste the spare staves. Oh, the sail needles are in the green locker. Don't wail it too much a Lord's Day, men. But don't miss a fair chance either. That's rejecting heaven's good gifts. Have an eye to the molasses, Tyrants. Mr. Stubb, it was a little leaky, I thought. If ye touch at the island, Mr. Flask, beware of fornication. Goodbye. Goodbye. Don't keep that cheese too long down there in the hold, Mr. Starbuck. It'll spoil. Be careful with the butter. Twenty cents a pound it was, and mind ye if... Come, come, Captain Bildad. Stop palavering. Away. And with that, Bildad hurried him over the side and both dropped into the boat. Ship and boat diverged. The cold, damp night breeze blew between. A screaming gull flew overhead. The two hulls wildly rolled and blindly plunged like fate into the lone Atlantic. Thanks for listening to Moby Dick Pod. If you've liked what you've heard so far, consider subscribing or leaving us a rating on Apple Podcast. And as always, thanks for listening.